Hi, I'm Oliver Wang. And I'm Morgan Rhodes, and you are listening to Heat Rocks. Each episode, we do a deep dive into a hot jam, arson, a banger, uh, a heat rock. And this week's heat rock is the 1992 album Love Deluxe by the English R&B group Sade. By the time Love Deluxe debuted in the fall of 92, Sade had already recorded three multi-platinum albums. Love Deluxe had a lush, slow-burn ambience, and its success helped solidify Sade's brand long before having a brand was even a thing. The album also helped win a second Grammy for lead singer and songwriter Sade Adu for the song you're hearing now, No Ordinary Love. The song has become one of her and the band's signature tunes. Love Deluxe has been described as sexy and introspective, even decadent. But I think my favorite description comes from Brad Nelson of Pitchfork, who calls the album a luxurious world of its own. Joining us to talk about Love Deluxe is cultural critic Ernest Hardy, whose remarkable writing I first encountered when you were writing for the LA Weekly, though you have certainly lent your pen to many, many other places. You can find some of his best pieces collected in his Blood Beats volume, Volumes 1 and 2 anthologies published by Redbone Press. And as, as I just learned, uh, he is teaching, you are teaching a fantastic sounding course on race, sex, and gender, and house music of the mid-80s through mid-90s up at CalArts in Valencia. And I, I, tra- I generally try not to commute up to Valencia because I once did that when I worked at uh, Magic Mountain as a high school student. But I would do that to, to check out your class. That sounds fantastic. Well, I will send you an email when, I, you know, when we start and let you know what might be a good day. Yeah. Is, yeah. If carpool is, is available, <laughs> yeah. I'd really like to be there. Ernest Hardy, welcome to Heat Rocks. Thank you. Glad to be here. I don't remember the exact moment when I first encountered Sade, but it almost certainly had to have been here in Los Angeles, and I would put good money. It was something that I heard on K-Rock, which is the modern rock station here in Los Angeles for those uh, unfamiliar. And I think then, you know, 20-plus years ago, as with now, the thing that just draws you in first and foremost is just that voice. Um, and so, you know, wherever I was, that it just captivated me to, to think, who is this? Like, who is producing this incredible sound? Do you remember how you first encountered Sade? Yeah, I think I was um, just about to start UCLA. Um, and that summer, I think that was summer of 84, um, the video, I think it was Your Love is King, mm. was just everywhere. And I really, again, the voice just drew you in because, you know, she doesn't have a conventional, technically amazing voice. Right. And that doesn't matter to me. I'm interested in... in interesting voices. I'm mm-hmm. interested in voices that can convey layers and colors and, and um, just pull you in and, and be evocative. And sometimes people who have amazing voices technically can't do that, you know. And when someone can do that, then I'm halfway there. And factor in, I think she's an amazing songwriter. I, I wish she got more credit mm. as a songwriter because for me, voice and words are everything. And I love her lyrics. I love her lyrics. You know, as Morgan pointed out, her and the group have had a very illustrious career in terms of the albums that they've put out over the years. You picked 
you know, album number four out of a much larger catalog. Why Love Deluxe? Well, one, this is the 25th anniversary of its release. So, wow, I um, do I feel old now? We all feel old. My same, goodness. Same. <laughs> I mean, wow. And, and I think in part because they've only released five or six albums total, yeah. it doesn't seem mm. that old. But partly it doesn't seem that old also because, and this is one of the reasons I chose it, it really is probably, if not their best, and one of their two or three best albums. It's just almost flawless. Mm, mm. And um, it's just one you can put on and listen to from start to finish and not skip a single track. And when you listen to it, it's interesting. Thematically, it's, it's not... You know, it goes several different places thematically in what they're doing with sound. You know, I, I, I know that... A lot of people, when they hear Sade, they think of the woman, but I think that the band is also deserving of a lot of credit for um, the way they've sort of slowly and organically evolved their sound. So you hear it and you know it's them, but when you listen closely, you can hear a lot of experimentation and a lot of growth, you know, them sort of factoring in things that other people are doing and they make it their own. I'm wondering, with Love Deluxe, what is it that you heard on this album that illustrates that evolution from where they came before that. No, I think it's the very first track, No Ordinary Love. When you listen to that, that track is actually very, very much in conversation with, like, Massive Attack. When you listen to the arrangement, the production, the instrumentation, it's very, very Massive Attack, and I think... You know, it really annoys me when people who don't like the group, and that's fine, you don't have to like the group, but when people say everything sounds the same, mm. and that's what it blows my mind, because Love Deluxe, for instance, you know, that, that period, 1992, was an amazing period in music um, around the world. There was so much um, experimentation. There was this sort of cross-pollination ac- across countries and cultures. And so what, what was happening in the UK at that time, you had groups like um, Smith & Mighty... You had Massive Attack, you had Soul to Soul, you had Bomb the Bass. And they were blending dub and reggae and hip-hop and house and R&B and jazz and just really putting their own twist on it. Mm. And what Sade, the group, did on that fourth album, they pulled in like this sort of dub feel, right? And the way they used the bass. Um, And... The way they, the way they use and manipulate stillness and quietness. I mean, there are times when you're listening to this record, and it's, it's like a guitar line. It just sort of like floats up out of the darkness across your face. You know, the bass line sort of rumbles up. You know, and then it sort of recedes again. And the same thing happens with her voice. Mm-hmm. Um, and that could be sterile. You know, and describing it, it sounds like it might be sterile production-wise. But it's very evocative and very warm. So, Ooh, that's fantastic. Going back to No Ordinary Love, and the video for No Ordinary Love was Sade under the water as a mermaid. Which I think was interesting because what we, you know, think the, the you know the myth about mermaids is them being mysterious and sexy, and that's to me Sade on this album, you know, in a nutshell. How much um, of Sade's sexiness do you think played a played a role in in the popularity of this album? 
I think a lot, you know, um, a few years ago, Robin Miller, who produced their first two albums, was interviewed, I think it was The Guardian, and he was saying that, um, you know, from the very start, Sade was involved in, you know, with meetings with the marketing department, with the PR department, um, that not a line could go in a press release without her approval. Mm. Every photo had her approval. And I thought that was really interesting because, you know, nowadays, that that would be part of the information that you you receive about an artist. You know, I'm the boss, I do this, I do that. And... You know, for her, for Sade to make what would, what would now be called boss moves, you know, Beyonce, <laughs> right. Nicki Minaj, right. Madonna, you know. right? Yeah. And but she didn't announce that because that wasn't part of the brand. Right. That wasn't important. All of that was in service of the music, the right. image, whatever. But you realize that she was very conscious of her body. Yeah. <laughs> she was very conscious of the effect she had on people. You know, and. I think her sexiness is something that is very interesting. It's, it's, it's potent. It's very present. And I think the fact that she doesn't play it up in a conventional way is what actually makes it even more exciting and more powerful. Um, you know, I wanted to go back. You mentioned the No Ordinary Love video. And something else that's very interesting about Sade to me, and I apologize for going off on a bit of a tangent. No, please. But one of the things that I really find fascinating is she's the only woman in the Sade universe. You know, when they tour, even the backing singers are men. Mm. Wow. You know, the entire band is men. The backing singers are men. She's the only woman. And I think it really speaks to the power of her femininity and the power of her as an artist that the world that she creates is in many ways a very feminine world, but it's all men who are, um, you know, helping her bring it to fruition. Right. And the only woman who's consistently been in conversation with Sade and collaborating with her is Sophie Mueller, who directed the No Ordinary Love video. And she also directed my favorite Sade video, which is King of Sorrow from, oh, yeah. um, <laughs> from the Lover's Rock album. I want to come back to something, though, and this very much um, goes off of what you're talking here, is the ways in which, obviously, the, the band is called Sade, her, her name is Sade, and there's, I guess, a conflation sometimes that she is the band and the band is she, but in the process, it threatens, and you were remarking on this earlier, it erases the players, because it's not as if she changes out musicians from album to album. I mean, she has a core around her. So what is it that you think the musicians are bringing into this that we need to recognize without certainly taking away the kind of genius and creative control that Sade, the, the, the person, brings to it? But when we think about Sade, the band, what is it that we should be listening to beyond just her voice? Man, I wish I had taken notes um because I, and in prepping for this, I, I was doing a lot of reading, and there's one band member, and, and it's the same like three guys who've been with her since from, from the start. And I don't remember their names at the moment, which is Stuart. an example of well, Stuart, <laughs> well, Matthewman. Stuart Matthewman is like yeah. you know, um, but not Stuart. One of the others, and I apologize for one of the others. Um, <laughs> <laughs> is it Andrew Hale or Paul Denman? I think it's Paul. Okay, is actually very very into punk, mm. and. I love when an artist is hugely influenced or informed by something and that doesn't manifest in an obvious way. 
You know, it's one of the reasons I, I love, for instance, um, Corinne Bailey Ray, who mm. I think of as like a daughter of Sade in a lot of ways. Mm. Um, but, you know, she's hugely influenced by Led Zeppelin. She's covered Led Zeppelin in, in her concerts. She's hugely influenced by Sly and the Family Stone. She's covered Sly and the Family Stone in her concerts. Um, but when you listen to her music, you don't autom- you wouldn't not you wouldn't say, oh, there, there's some Led Zeppelin in here or there's some Sly Stone in here. So I love it when people can ingest art and make art and it's not an easy um, line to draw from one to the other. And so knowing that, you know, there's someone in the group who's very, very much into punk, you know, um, obviously jazz is a huge influence. You know, R&B, um, Sade herself is a, you know, support, reportedly a huge reggae fan and hip hop fan. Yeah. Although I have to say, she kind of broke my heart when she posed with Drake a few months ago. I thought, <laughs> <laughs> oh, <God>. um, <laughs> oh, this is it, it, it just got tense in here. Because, anyways, <laughs> no, Drake is Drake. Drake. Um, <laughs> I love I, I love him. Okay, that's allowed. That's allowed. But you know, but you know. Um, some of those things I just listed, some of those music, some of those genres, you, you can hear the echo of them in the music, yeah. but others you, you don't necessarily. Is there a song off the album that you think helps to illustrate that, that we could take a listen to right now? Well, the song Pearls. There is a woman in Somalia Scraping for pearls on the roadside There's a force stronger than nature Pearls is this sort of gorgeously somber um, track, and the lyrics are just poetic and moving and empathetic, which I think is one of Sade's great, great qualities as a songwriter and as a performer. Um, You definitely don't hear any sort of punk influence in that. (laughs) You know, you definitely don't hear um, a quote-unquote hip-hop influence in that, but I think... um, for as sparse and spare as the track is, it's incredibly, incredibly rich. There's a stone in my heart. She lives a life she didn't choose. And I think what happens when you have great musicians who are versed across genre is they know how to fuse and create and draw and just push the music into some place that um, might not be obvious from what they've ingested. You know, I think, I think for instance, of you know, the great um, house bands, uh, house musicians at Motown, most of those guys were jazz musicians. Right. You know, they were like really accomplished you know, jazz musicians, and they made the most sublime R&B pop. You know, um, the reason those tracks do what they do is because these musicians honed their chops, honed their craft in jazz. And you don't necessarily, unless you're a hardcore student of music, you may not necessarily hear a jazz element in a lot of the Motown stuff, but Motown is rooted in jazz. Something like Pearls, which... You know, you don't hear obvious hip-hop. You don't hear obvious punk. But to know that the musicians who put this together, that's part of what fed them. I just find, I just think that's really fascinating. Yeah. We'll take a quick break and we'll be right back with Heat Rocks. Don't go anywhere. 
Hey everyone, Freddie Wong, Matt Arnold, and Will Campos, here to tell you about Story Break, a writer's room podcast where every week we, the Hollywood geniuses behind Video Game High School, have one hour to turn a humble idea into an awesome movie. Thrill as we weave the tragic tale of Jar Jar, a Star Wars story. We're going to double down on everything that made the prequels great. Jar Jar, <laughs> trade federation, <laughs> politics. Gasp as we assemble a pantheon of heroes for the Kellogg Cinematic Universe. We could get rid of Snap, Crackle, Pop. I wouldn't even miss them. You're crazy. They die in the second act. Oh, come on. <laughs> and join us as we make fun of Matt as he struggles to name a single Beyonce song. Well, yeah, put a finger on it. Sure, she wants to be Beyonce. Put a um, finger on it. Beyonce's <laughs> famous song. Will we break the story? Or will the story break us? Find out by joining us in the writer's room every Thursday on MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Chaotic Bro. Natural Jaeger. Picosby. Mount Armas. The USS Entrepreneur. Dustbuster Club. Drunk Shimoda. What are we talking about? Some of the many delightful nonsenses that are now important running gags in the Star Trek podcast we still can't believe we're actually making. The Greatest Generation is a show that is reviewing Star Trek The Next Generation episode by episode, but it's much sillier and has more fart jokes than that makes it sound. Our reputations may never recover. You can get our show at MaximumFun.org or wherever you download podcasts. In a 1992 interview, Sade was asked about her favorite song on Love Deluxe. Uh, She said it was Cherish the Day, actually, and went on to say, quote, I don't know why, I just like it. I think it's really quite deep, but at the same time, it's a love song. have to ask you what's your favorite song on the album or what would you consider the fire track uh, from the album oh man Cherish the Day is fantastic you know and that's one where the the massive attack slash hip hop influence is really because it's such a beat driven song which you know people don't think of when they think of Sade beat driven but you know that one is and it's one of their biggest hits Cherish the Day Um, for me, man, it would probably be either Pearls or Feel No Pain. You know, the, the beginning of that goes right back to what I was saying about No Ordinary Love. You hear the massive attack, Absolutely. Smith and Mighty, you know, that is so there and yet what they've done is make it theirs you know because you know when Soul to Soul and Massive Attack broke large there are so many artists who jumped on that sound and it still sounds like those artists doing Massive Attack or those artists doing Soul to Soul mm-hmm. and I think it really speaks to the artistry of the band um, Sade that they could absorb that and make it their own One of the things I love about Feel No Pain is Sade is doing what, what the great poets and great novelists often do, which is return to, to, to 
themes that obsess her to themes that, you know, um, sort of wake her up and and, and egg her on. Feel No Pain is, an, is a great example of her empathy. You know, it goes back to, like, on the first album when they covered Why Can't We Live Together right. or um, the other one on the, on the first album. Um, when Am I Gonna Make a Living? When am I gonna make a living? Ooh, it's gonna take a while before I give in. See the people fussing and feeling. What a shot, so we didn't One of the things that I, that I find interesting about Sade is, you know, she's known as being sort of like this torch singer, the, the you know, the diva of the broken heart. But I think the reason those songs work is because, as I was saying before, she has such empathy and, and she, she shows that in her character studies that, that she does in her different songs. And Feel No Pain, in so many ways, is, a, is an even more, it's a, it's a more intense, um, hardcore, for lack of a better word, take on the very same things of when am I going to make a living? Now, when am I going to make a living from 1984? Now, that was, you know, Thatcher's um, England, and, and things were sort of, you know, really falling apart for a lot of poor people, and, and there was, you know, a lot of, you know, the class schisms were really being pronounced, and so, you know, a song like When Am I Gonna Make a Living, you know, spoke to, for a lot of young folks at that time. Flash forward, you know, to feel no pain eight years later, and you know, mama's been laid off, papa's been laid off, <laughs> Billy can't get a job, you know. So it's that it's that same sort of, you know, looking out at the world and what's happening in the world. And I love the line, you know, what she says: "One day we're going to wake up ghettos all around," mm-hmm. you know, which I think <laughs> with what's happening in the world now is pretty much a given. So I think Feel No Pain is one of my favorites because it's sort of, it's very Sade, but it shows that she's not just, you know, um, this brokenhearted woman penning these lyrics of heartbreak in her in her journal. She's, she's very, you know, in tune with what's happening in the world. One of the things that you and I were talking about uh, before we, we went to the studio to start taping was the it goes back to um, the way in which Sade creates characters in her songs. And this goes back to her songwriting. And one of the observations that I'd never really thought about but, but seems really quite true with her is that other R&B singers tend to sing from a first-person point of view, right? It's, it's I, it's me. And Sade, I mean, she does some of that, certainly, but she also creates these characters to tell other kinds of stories that are not just about some quasi-autobiographical um, you know, perspective. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit more about sort of her use of characters as a songwriter, how this maybe is different than other artists that we sometimes might compare her to. Right, right, right. Well, you know, one of my... Um this isn't on Love Deluxe, but one of my favorite songs by her is Clean Heart, which is, I think that sounds stronger than Pride. Clean heart, clean and sharp. Clean dream, 
and you know she tells the story of of this young this young man who is sort of you know the the magnetic figure in his neighborhood, and his family's poor, and he's you know he's determined to go out and and do what he has to in order to provide for his family, and um and he's shot and killed, and the way you get the way she describes him, you know at one point she says you know um. I'm, I'm going to mangle the lyrics. I'm not even going to try it. But she describes them so wonderfully, and it's so such an eye for detail. You know, and at one point she says, "I'm somewhere on another block, a baby's crying." <laughs> you know, as she's filling in, like his moving through the streets and headed toward this bullet that's going to take his life. Somewhere in the next No, I think one of the reasons that Sade resonates with hip hop as much as hip hop resonates with her is her 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 attention to detail, her 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 empathy for for folks who who are struggling, um, and I think that is one of the things that really pulls people to Sade's music. I want to go back to Pearls because Pearls is one of my true jams from the album. Um, it's cinematic. It's dramatic. Um, and Absolutely. It, and just for me as a music supervisor, it's like I know Sony would never let me place this song, but in an ideal world <laughs> with a big old budget, Pearls would be the one. But it would have to be subject-wise. It starts out, you know, there's a woman in Somalia, mm-hmm. so you'd have to be in the right place. Um, I think it didn't get the attention that a lot of the other tracks did. But, you know, the thing, what's interesting about Sade is, you know, um, every album after after Promise, I think, every album only put out maybe one or two singles. Sure. But fans gravitate toward tracks. And the band, you know, for, for, for a group, and especially for Sade, who is not on social media, who doesn't have that kind of interaction, they seem to be really smart about what the fans have have take have embraced. Sure. You know, so I remember seeing her perform Pearls um at during the Lovers Live tour. And I mean I was already a, a Sade fan for life and so that was not ever in question. But I remember her singing that and I think it was like the second to last um stop on the on the tour. It was, they were like near the end and you know um I know she was tired. I mean it was a great show but you know at the end of a long tour, you know. And she and singing, you know, when she throws her head back and does that hallelujah and yeah. just, like, pulls it from, like, the core for being, she belted that in a way I had, it's like, wow. Mm, yeah. And she went someplace in herself, and she did that, she belted that note, she held it, then she jumped a note, and I think she scared herself. <laughs> She, it was just that thing that you, as an artist and as a fan, you love. It's when, it's when the lines between the artist and whatever spirit or whatever informs them, when that line is erased and they just become that, you know. And that's what happened. She, when she jumped that note, 
I think she scared herself, but it was it was amazing, and the crowd just went crazy. I don't think Sade's ever hit that note again. <laughs> <laughs> it, was a, it, was, it wasn't a lifetime situation. It, oh, it was amazing. It now, was amazing. Now, to me, that's one of the, the sleeper tracks on the album. What's one of the sleeper tracks to you, or what, what's one of the tracks that you think just went under the radar? Maybe Bulletproof Soul. I was so in love with you. You really see a love that true. Wasn't that enough for you? Wasn't that enough for you? I would climb a mountain. I wouldn't want to see you fall. Rock climb for you. Give you a reason for it all. Now here's this woman who's incredibly... You know, I mean, Sade, she's lovely, she's, um, you know, elegant, yeah. all these things. And Bulletproof Soul has her returning back to, to imagery of guns and bullets and, and speaking about romantic relationships, <laughs> you know. Um, there's something about Bulletproof Soul where she's, like, wise and weary and, um, you know, sort of cautioning this lover who has screwed up and has has who and doesn't know how love really works you know um and has sort of squandered it as a result a couple of artists were asked last year um, by a magazine called v magazine about the ways they've been inspired by sade and uh, an artist named Moses Sumney said her music and the way she has sparingly released it over the past few decades has taught me the subtle power of economizing your outputs. Mm. Uh, to what extent do you think that releasing albums at the pace she has has increased her appeal and also heightened the mystery around her? Man, I think that is everything. I mean, you know, Every few years, a, a, a rumor starts that Sade is putting out an album or working on an album. And I, I love to just imagine her sitting at a, in her home in, in London or outside London, smoking a joint and just feet up, not even thinking about <laughs> you know, the music industry. Definitely, you know, there, I'm going to sound like a, a grumpy old man, but one of the things that is so missing in, in among contemporary artists is any sense of mystery. Mm. And... The fact that Sade is not on Twitter, she's not on Facebook, she doesn't have an Instagram account, um, and you know she doesn't have a clothing line, she doesn't have a fashion line, a, a, a liquor line, she doesn't, you know, all these things that that sort of demand that people be out there representing their brand. And what I love about Sade is, at s- somewhere in her mind, I, I imagine her thinking, "My brand will evolve through the through the music. I mean, that's that's my brand." You know, all this other stuff is irrelevant. And, um, you know, there's a way in which, because we don't see her all the time, because, you know, Mm -hmm. she's not in the tabloids, because she's not everywhere, um, we're forced to, 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 to pay attention to the music. Nothing else matters. And I think that forces us to have a deeper relationship with the music. And I love the way, you know, when you listen to her five or six albums now, um, the ways in which they're in conversation with each other, the ways in which, as a writer, she refines and deepens her perspective, deepens her politics, deepens her point, you know, sharpens her aesthetic, you know, as you listen to the albums, as I was saying before, the way in which different influences are brought in, you know, um, on the Lover's Rock um, 
album, the, the title song, which is you know it's it's not to the lovers rock genre, um, and again that's something that they just made their own. You know, I I think that in in taking their time, and and just really focusing on the music and nothing else, they sort of force us as the listener to only be concerned with the music. Mm. And because the quality of the music is so high, it's worth it. You know, we don't feel cheated. Um, yeah, I think I think they're fantastic. And I think because we don't know anything about Sade's personal life, we can't quantify the albums like, oh, this is the breakup album, or this is where she's about to talk about, because cause we, we, don't, <laughs> right, know, we right. don't know anything about her. Right, 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 right. As you were saying, Morgan, because we don't have a whole lot of information about Sade's personal life, we don't... We, we can we can assume a lot of things, and we can sort of think we might know what her personal life is like, but we don't really know. But I came across two lines in two different songs that I, I sort of feel like um, might give us some idea about Sade. You know, one of them is from um, Bulletproof Soul, where she says, um, "I came in like a lamb, but I intend to leave like a lion." Then the others from the song Lover's Rock, where she says, Somewhere in my sadness, I know I won't fall apart completely. Somewhere in my sadness, I know I won't fall apart completely. And I just think, you know, it really speaks to however much we might think of her as this sort of tortured, you know, um, you know, ill-fated in love figure, there's a strength there, you know, and there is a resilience there. And I think it's a very, I think it's a very specifically feminine kind of strength and feminine kind of resilience. And that I love, I love the line, um, somewhere in my sadness, I know I won't fall apart completely because, you know, you just sort of, you know, when you, um, when you've had a devastating romantic situation and you do feel like every breath is going to be your last, you know, for there to be some some string, something in you that says, I know I won't fall apart completely. I know I will get myself up again, you know. And the the line about, um, but I intend to leave like a lion, which sometimes I hear as, but I intend to live like a lion. Um, I just think, again, it just really speaks to her strength. And I think quite often people don't think of Sade as a strong figure. But I think, you know, going back to what I was saying before about how deeply, deeply involved she's been in, in crafting her image and her persona um, and just being steadfast in putting music out when she wanted to, putting out the kind of music she wanted to put out because, you know, when they first got their record deal, they signed with the label that gave them the most creative control. They had offers for more money. They went with the label that would give them more creative control. Um, and, you know, when that first album came out, they were being pressured by the, the by the U.S. Um, arm of the label to you know have maybe some hip hop pr- producers or remixers like do, re, you know tweak the tracks or do this or do that and they wouldn't do it. So I think you know in contemp- for contemporary artists, especially contemporary women artists, you know that sort of standing up to the man is is announced and, and made part of their brand. And Shadi hasn't done that. So I think, you know, um, 
people don't think of her as a tough-minded businesswoman. People don't think of her as a as a savvy, you know, um, savvy artist in terms of the nuts and bolts of of creativity. Mm. Um, and she is. And I and I feel like those lines that I pulled out sort of give you. Um, a little bit of that Sade first person, you know, it's it's couched in songs that are about other things. It's not about no, but I feel like those might give us some insight into Sade. Mm. This has been an incredible conversation. I think we need to hear one more track off of um, Love Deluxe, uh, which is Kiss of Life. There must have been an angel by my One of the things I love about Kiss of Life is it's one of the few Sade songs where, you know, you feel like you're, you're, she's, she's documenting um, that moment in the, in the relationship when it's blissful. You know, this, there's been no betrayal yet. No one is, <laughs> no one is bleeding out on the floor. <laughs> right? Um, and I think it works so well, not only in terms of Love Deluxe, but you know, as I was saying earlier, when you listen to her work, it's all in conversation. I think one of the reasons that Kiss of Life, which is like this sort of lovely, fizzy love song, one of the reasons it works is because we have this body of work of, of you know, all these betrayals, all this heartache. And so we know, and, and we know that she knows, you know, the subtext of the song is how much it costs you to, to find love, to hold on to love. And... You know, when you're in that moment where your head is spinning and, and, and you still have butterflies, there's a part of you that, that knows that this is fleeting. It doesn't necessarily mean that what's coming around the corner is going to be cruel and devastating but that 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 high that that blissfulness is fleeting mm. and so i think for her to distill that blissfulness in this one song you know and then within the context of her larger body of work it just really sort of elevates it it's not just a typical you know fluffy pop love song right. there's there's subtext there or it's it's also not too literal, where I think some of today's R&B is like, just if you could just be metaphorical for a few minutes, <laughs> I really appreciate I really appreciate right, that, right, you know? Right, right, If you had to describe Love Deluxe in three words, <laughs> what would they be? Ernest looks so pained right now. People don't I, even I feel bad for asking. I'm like, I'm like, wow, okay. Like only three? <laughs> Well, you know, it's funny as I as I told you guys before we came in. I I spent the day, and I I hope you got something useful from from what I've said Absolutely. during this. I I just spent the day sort of cramming, and I have all these things in my head, and and trying to boil it down to three is impossible. But one, I'm, I'm going to um, use a word that you use, Morgan, which is cinematic. Mm. I would say poetic. I know that poetic is overused and misused in so many instances, but I think. Um, with with Sade, um, it absolutely is relevant and applies. So cinematic, poetic, um, timeless. That's perfect. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
that'll do it for this episode of Heat Rocks with our special guest, Ernest Hardy. Be sure to check out his collection of essays, Blood Beats Volume 1 and 2 on Redbone Press. What else are you working on right now? I am working on a collection of short stories and poetry for Writ Large Press, which is a, an, a small LA-based press. Where can people find you? Oh, I... You, you keep it. You keep it. You're off. You're off the media's. <laughs> you're an enigma. Yeah, I no. no I, I got off Facebook a long time ago. I'm yeah. not on Twitter. Or none of that stuff. But Just you can search it. for your byline. It's out there, and, and then your work is out there. As a <laughs> yeah. You've been listening to Heat Rocks with me, Oliver Wang, and Morgan Rhodes. Our theme music is Crown Ones by Thess One of People Under the Stairs. Thanks to him for letting us use it. Heat Rocks is produced by myself, Morgan Rhodes, and Kara Hart. Today's show was engineered by Nick Liao and edited by Kara. So be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Heat Rocks Pod. You can find a link to our Facebook group on our webpage, heatrockspod.com. That's where we'll post show notes for every episode, including a track listing of everything you've heard today and more goodies. Again, that's at heatrockspod.com. We are part of the Maximum Fun family, taping every week live in their studios in the dynamic Westlake neighborhood of Los Angeles. Good to see you, Oliver. Good to see you too, Morgan. Maximumfun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.